0: I wanna talk to you today about hunger. Casey and I have noticed this pattern in our household because our kids right now have had more time playing video games than probably ever before in their lives because like all of our kids, we're at home all day, every day, and they love video games, right? They love to play uh, by themselves or with one another or with friends online, but there comes a point every day We have to say, hey, electronics time is over. And when we do, as you can imagine, there's some grumbling that takes place. But we've noticed that they are starving. It's like they were so engrossed in their game, in whatever they were playing, that they kind of were putting their hunger aside, that they weren't paying attention to it. And then all of a sudden, once the the, the game was paused they became aware of how hungry they were. And I'm just wondering, in this season, you've had to push pause on so much of your life. What hunger has been revealed in you? In this season, what hunger has been revealed in you? This Sunday, today is Pentecost Sunday, I mean, this is a day of celebration for the church of Jesus Christ because it's our uh, our inauguration day. It, it's the moment that marks the church, like the birth moment, where we saw the outpouring and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's the very essence of God that dwells within the heart's of Of believers in Jesus Christ. He's the very power and presence of the living God in us. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the comforter, right? The spirit of truth and the helper, the helper. That's what he does in us. He comes to counsel and to comfort and to lead us into truth and wisdom and discernment. And he helps us. Galatians gives us that beautiful list called the fruit of the Spirit. You've probably heard of that before. It's the list of what the Spirit of God does in our lives. And it's a list that includes love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self control. We absolutely need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. You need it. I need it. We absolutely need his power. In His presence, and man, we feel that, especially right now, in our nation, as I mentioned earlier, with the the unjust death of George Floyd, and yet at the same time, we see this kind of lawlessness break out and rioting and looting and burning buildings and uh, just all kinds of mayhem, and it just—it's like this other. It seems to be at work in the world, the spirit of lawlessness, the spirit of, of ruin. And I believe that this is a moment, a crucial moment, a turning point that God has allowed us to step into where he wants to move mightily. God has pushed pause on the game of life to reveal our hunger. And friends, what I want to call us to today is to hunger for the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at Acts chapter one, if you want to turn there with me. This is, uh, uh, I didn't plan to go through Acts as much as we have recently, but it's just sort of how the Spirit's led us together as a church body. And this is the moment before Pentecost. Acts chapter two, if you have ever read that before, it talks about how the Spirit comes with power, this mighty rushing wind, The these um, what appears to be tongues of fire on top of these apostles' heads. They proclaim the gospel in every language, right? It's this beautiful moment. 3,000 people believe and are baptized day one. But I want to look kind of what happened right before that. What was the preparation moment for the Pentecost moment? So we're going to look at, Acts chapter 1. We're going to read just one portion, verse 12 through 14. Read this with me. It says that then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Verse 14, they all were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. This is the word of the Lord. So here we have this sort of little detail, this little moment of preparation before the Pentecost. And I think it's an important moment for us to understand. See, what's happened is Jesus has just ascended into heaven, into this glory cloud. The disciples have been there with him and they um, have spent 40 days with the resurrected Jesus. Now, sure, that had to be exhilarating. I mean, seeing Jesus come and teach them in his resurrected body and just being there and seeing his eyes as he spoke and and touching his body and, and eating meals with him. Like I just imagine this was an amazing experience for these first followers of Jesus. And yet he's left, he's ascended and he's left this void. And in that void, what I sense in this passage is hunger, that there was a hunger among these first followers of Jesus who have just been in the physical presence of Jesus and are now feeling the void. And so, I want us to look at what the hunger drives them to do in this passage. The first thing that I think we need to uh, understand, and I'll just personalize this for you, is let your hunger drive you to wait. Let your hunger drive you to wait. You see, what we see happening here is these disciples are going to leave the mountain, right? The Mount of Olives. They're going to walk Sabbath day's journey into Jerusalem. They're going to go to this house, right? This Airbnb that they're staying in, in Jerusalem, and they're going to wait. We know, because we're on this side of the story, we know that they had to wait for 10 days before the Spirit came, but we have no indication from the Gospels or any other place that tells us that Jesus told them exactly when it would come. So they're just waiting. They have no idea when this Holy Spirit's going to come. They also don't know what that's going to look like or feel like. I mean, Just imagine, it's like Jesus is hey, I'm going to send the counselor. I'm going to send the comforter. He's going to help you, right? You're going to receive power. Just wait. But you don't know what it looks like or feels like. And so you're literally waiting, but you're not exactly sure what it is you're waiting for. You just hope that when it comes, you'll know exactly that this is what Jesus meant. And they're waiting Their hunger drove them to wait. Waiting feels powerless, right? It feels like something that's totally out of your hands, out of your control. You're just having to wait for someone else to do something, and you're stuck feeling powerless, as you wait. We're not typically great waiters, are we? I uh, think of my own self uh, before coronavirus when we would go to restaurants and they were busy restaurants. And, you know, they would say, hey, you know, it's going to be 30 minutes before we can seat you. And so you go out with your family and, you know, 30 minutes of waiting. If you have small kids, right, it's like, feels like eternity. And so at, at 30 minutes, if we're not seated, right, I'm going to walk up to that hostess station and I will say something. I'll be as nice and as pastorally as I can. And I will say, hi, I just wanted to check on our table kid party of 5 and that sounds really nice but what i'm saying is look hey we've been here for 30 minutes right i'm i'm tired of waiting like make this happen figure it out and waiting feels powerless and a lot of times in our lives whenever god calls us to wait we try to sort of take control again we try to make something happen we want to get power back but i think that's what makes waiting such a crucial spiritual practice for us It's because in our powerlessness, when we acknowledge, God, I don't have the power to make this happen in my life, that's the moment when God can do his most amazing works in us because it's all about his power. So let your hunger drive you to wait. The second thing that I want us to see, let your hunger drive you to obedience, now, I don't want you to miss that these disciples are just doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. We didn't read it, but in Luke 24, Luke's the, the, the author of the book, and if you want to read a God and the book of Acts together, I recommend Luke and Acts because he wrote both of them, and you can see in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus tells them, he says, and look, I'm sinned, my father promised, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. So he tells them, look, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. It's going to be awesome. But I want you to wait in the city until you're empowered from on high. So these disciples, after Jesus ascends, they just do what Jesus said to do. They go into the city and they wait. Their hunger drives them to obedience, to obedience. Friends, you and I need to simply obey what Jesus has told us to do. You need the power and the presence of the living God in you. And he has this pattern of working through people, of empowering people who are obedient to Him. Jesus never once shied away from calling us, calling His people, calling His disciples to obedience. God desires us to obey Him. I uh, recently uh, was listening to a podcast and there's a pastor by the name of Mark Sayers, and he said this, and I thought it was brilliant. He said, personal holiness is the welcome mat for God's presence. Personal holiness is the welcome mat for God's presence. I was thinking this week of this kind of trend that you see of personal, Personalized welcome mats it's uh, something where you can uh, hire a company and they'll print your maybe your initials or your last name or a special message that's on that welcome mat so that when people walk up to your house they'll to your house and they feel like this special touch or whatever you welcome them and I was thinking about the personal nature of our obedience. see there are things that all of us are called to obey. It's the it's the the biblical ethics, the things that God said, hey, don't do this or or do this, and it's for every believer in Christ. And yet, the Spirit of God has a way of communicating that in a very personal way to each one of us, with with convictions and things on our conscience that let us know, hey, there, there's a, a specific way that God wants me to personally apply His truth. And I wanna encourage you to put out a personalized welcome mat of obedience. You need his power. You need his presence. And God wants to meet you in your obedience. Let your hunger drive you to obedience. Third thing we see in this passage. Let your hunger drive you to prayer. I mean, that's exactly what we see happening here. Verse 14, they were all continually united in prayer. And there's this path out, not only here in this passage, but throughout church history, that every time there was a move of God, right, that it was preceded by prayer, that God works through the, prayers of his people, that before he's going to pour out his spirit, before he's going to move in a special way, he stirs the hearts of people to pray. And I just wonder, in the midst of the pause, if there's a hunger that's welling up that's going to drive us to pray, that's going to drive you to pray in a new way. You see, there's this cultural spell that gets cast over us, and it's all about uh, your consumption, right? It's like you're, you're it's more, 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 better, 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 more money, more stuff. And there's also this cultural spell about your personal freedom. So right? just pursuing your own individual autonomous freedoms. And God has this merciful, kind, wonderful way of bursting that bubble and he reveals a hunger for something better. It's like he he gives us that dissatisfaction and that dissatisfaction, that holy discontent, it actually moves us to pray. It, It calls us to intercede. And here we see disciples that are hungering after God in prayer continuously right they are engaging in prayer constantly they're waiting for the spirit of god to come in power they're praying until the power comes we have a saying here at renaissance church that we say because prayer is a huge value for us at church we say that we pray our way into the move of god That our desire from the beginning to be urged is partnering with God and his move in our city, in our community, in the world. Like we want to be a part of what God's doing, but we know it's not about, you know, cool strategy and hip logos and all that kind of stuff. It's all about his power, and we must pray our way into the move of God. So let your hunger drive you to prayer. The last thing let your hunger drive you together. Let your hunger drive you together. There's that word in verse 14 that we just kind of passed over quickly and it's the word united. They were all continually united in prayer. It lists the disciples, it lists the women that were with them. The next part lists the 120 others that were around them, right? They were continually united in prayer that our hunger... Draws us together. It draws us together. These disciples were contending together for this moment where the power and the presence of God were gonna come. I think the question that we're all wrestling with is what does together look like right now? Right? Because it doesn't look like it did two months ago, and uh, it, it feels awkward now because maybe you have masks on or a, or gloves on or you're, you know, physically distancing from other people. It feels awkward and there's some fear around it still, right? Because we know that uh, we're not totally out of the woods yet. We're, Um, being careful or being cautious, so there's some apprehension, some fear. So, what does together look like? Well, for us as a church, there are ways that we've been uh, gathering digitally, like this live stream is an example our groups, our our groups that we call house churches, meeting on Zoom online, or they might meet with just the men of the group going and meeting at a certain spot, or meeting in the front yard, or the women of a group doing something special, or all the group doing just a, a socially distant kind of in-person gathering. Like we're having to get creative because what we do know is that even though it's awkward even though there's fear around it, even though it's not like it was two months ago, we still need one another. Our hunger has to drive us together and we don't have a free pass to disconnect from one another. You see, God's spirit wants to draw us into unity. It's unity that releases the power and presence of God. So, That could mean husbands and wives. It's time for you to come together spiritually. Maybe you've learned how to do everything in your life, but talk about God and pray and read the Bible or have some kind of spiritual shared life together. Maybe it's children and parents coming together together Now, like you've, maybe you haven't had a great model in your life or you haven't seen examples of how to raise your kids uh, in the Lord, but God wants to equip you right now. He wants you to step into that and to just do something because he wants to bring us together. And I know that it absolutely means that God wants to bring us as the church together in unity. So let your hunger drive you to wait. Let your hunger drive you to obedience. Let your hunger drive you to prayer. Let your hunger drive you together. How does this look in our lives? What, is, what, what, what does this mean for us? Well, I was thinking of the picture of a pond and a pebble being dropped into that pond. If you can just imagine when that, when that pebble hits the water, that's like these concentric circles. I want you to picture your life in concentric circles. That that first circle is your personal life, your heart, your mind, your, your own walk with God. It's your personal life. That next circle would be those that are closest to you. If you're married, it's your spouse, or maybe it's your children or close friends, a roommate, uh, maybe those that are in your house, church. That next circle would be that, that, outer ring of people around you, people in the church, maybe people who are living around you, people you're interacting with uh, uh, through work or different ways. And then there's those that are in the greater uh, community, those that maybe you're not with directly, like this this outer ring of the people in our community, the lost in our community. Just think of those concentric circles. And I want you to remember that when the pebble hits the pond, the first... Con- The centric circle is that most personal one. What I mean is this, that the hunger has to start with you. It's got to start with you. Like my kids wandering towards the pantry once we finally turn off the video games, I believe that you and I need to start wandering into secret places because we're hungry that, that the, the, the quiet time, the, the secret place, the intimacy with the Lord needs to be that spiritual pantry that we find ourselves wandering into throughout the day, just trying to get a snack, just trying to get one more meal, just trying to uh, uh, just leave that hunger that we feel inside of our hearts. We must re-embrace the gravitational pull of personal intimacy with Jesus, scripture, prayer, worship, solitude, the simple things where you cultivate deep hunger for the Lord. I was uh, thinking this week about newborns and how uh, when a newborn comes out of mama's tummy, right? That child begins to cry, and the child is hungry. Now, just imagine that. No one has taught that baby that it should be hungry, it's not been explained to the child how hunger works. There's no chart that shows a mouth and a throat and a stomach and how it all works. There's, there's, they, they don't even know what the word hunger means. They can't speak yet. They can't utter a word. They can't read and they can't explain it. All the child knows is that it's hungry. And we have the cry. See that? child was made to live on nutrients that only come from the presence of food. In the same way, there's a hunger that God has placed inside of our hearts. We don't know how to explain it, you may not know all the biblical words of why you're hungry. You don't know why it's there. Nobody taught you to be hungry. It's just there. It's because God has placed that in you because he wants to fill you. And he actually, he's calling us to not just put the hunger aside, but he's paused our life so that we might lean in even more for the power and the presence that he wants to bring. Another thing that's interesting about newborns is that as soon as they are come out of the womb, right, and they set them on the abdomen of a of a mom, that baby instinctively begins to try to nurse, right? It's immediately trying to feed. And that I believe that God wants us to just feed on him that instinctively we know we long for this. We need this. The last thing about babies is there's not much else to do, right? All they do is cry and then eat. And if they're awake, it's probably because they're about to feed or they're feeding or they just fed. And beyond that, like they're asleep again. And I, and I think this is a season for singular, a singular focus on hungering after the Lord, after after the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. He wants to fill us. He wants to fill us with power. We need it. You need the power of God. We need him to move in a fresh way. Friends, let this be our moment of preparation where we begin to receive the mighty wind of God in our day. So, let me close with these, word, these words from Jesus, Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin churchorg